0: Well, good morning again, Pastor Pete here, and delighted that you can join us on the live stream. And, and thank goodness we have this uh, live stream, the timing of it, that we can have this opportunity uh, to come to you uh, in your living room, in your car, wherever you're watching us. Uh, we're delighted that you can be with us uh, in, one, in one place and on the multiple channels that we have. So this week is really a continuation of last week. It's a two-part uh, message and so it's the same passage of Scripture that we looked at uh, last week, but we're going to look at it in an entirely uh, different light. Uh, we've, been look, we've been talking about our identity in Christ. And so last week, I defined what does it mean to have our identity in Christ? What does it mean to find our foundation in Christ? To have our, our focus in Christ and our future in Christ? So we, we considered that. And then today I'm going to share... Uh, our never before told story. It's my testimony, but it's really I say our because I include Cheryl and John in our family story. And so let's turn to God's Word right now, Colossians chapter three, verses one to four, and it will be on the screen as well. It says, "Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God." Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. So last week we talked about what does it mean to have our identity in Christ, who we are, how we understand ourselves, how other people view us, our characteristics Rooted very much in the very close relationship we have with our Savior. You can't get any closer than in. Well, I guess you can get behind, but then you're on your way out. So we want to be in Christ. We talked about the foundation of that identity in Christ. And that it was really summed up in those first couple of words, being raised in Christ. The new life that God's given us. And that our life is now hidden in Christ. So we talked about the application last week was don't care about anyone's opinion more than you care about Jesus's opinion. His opinion of you, how God views you, how God sees you is what's most important to hold on to that foundational understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower. Then we talked about focus. Like what are the things that you're setting your minds on? What are the things that are most important to you? What are the things that you wrap up your thinking, your energy, your passion and twice the passage says, set your mind, your heart on things above, not on things on earth. And so we, we talked about just real practically the importance of, of prayer and, and Bible study, really understanding God's word more deeply and having a relationship through conversation, which is prayer with God, that thou would set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. And then finally, we talked about our future with Christ. And that last verse, verse 4, talks about when he appears, we will also appear with him in glory. And I I describe the the incredible plan that God has, the purposes God has for you in your life, sovereign over every detail in your life, working those things out, making us more like Christ. So that was a lot of preaching last week. I just sort of preached for about two minutes right there. Now the question is, what does that look like? I'd like to share my story. By way of sharing my story, the hope is that you have some handholds and some understanding of your own story and also that this would turn our attention more and more to our Savior. So my story, my identity. Well, it starts a long time ago, growing up in a big Italian family. It's part of who I uh, have always been. I've wanted to have a big family. Big Italian family. It's just how I saw myself, what our, my hopes were. Cheryl had, uh, came from a smaller family, wasn't so keen on that, but, but we had a wonderful first 10 years of marriage. And you get into your early 30s, you think, okay, we've, we've done grad school, we did a lot of youth ministry, we had those kids that were our kids in youth ministry. Now it's time to start a family. And I will tell you, it was as easy as flipping a switch. It was... We know Jonathan was conceived on my birthday. We just know. It just, let's start having kids. Oh, nine months later, we got a kid. So easy. We're in Minneapolis at this point. Have finished at Fuller Seminary. Have served for a couple of years in my first church in uh, South Minneapolis. We went to Hennepin Hospital. Beautiful hospital. Wonderful receptionists there. Nurses, all smiles. We have a private room. Gorgeous view of, of downtown uh, Minneapolis, and we came home with this bundle of joy. Actually, also kind of freaky, right? I mean, you parents know how scary the first one, you're like, how Are you going to Like, Those of you who have like four or five kids, you're like, Where's the, where's the newborn? They're just, you know, they're taking care of themselves when, they're, when you get to that many kids. But your first one, you're just carrying it in, like, Oh, not take off. you know, bring it in. That first year was so fun. I was on cloud nine. I was a husband. I was a pastor. I was a dad. Talk about one's identity coming together. This proud papa walking around. I'd wear even one of those baby Bjorns. I don't care. I'll, yeah, I'm a, I can wear one of those, have a little kid on. That's kind of cool. I, I don't mind. That was great. We had a wonderful first year. And I think it was about Jonathan's first birthday that I, I turned to Cheryl. And I said, honey... What do you think about starting for number two? I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to the Midwest, but the upper Midwest, there are families that are huge. They get started in their early 20s. By the time they're our age, they might have a kid halfway through college. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, we have these kids spread out two years apart. We have three, maybe four. And Cheryl wasn't so sure. So, well, honey, she said, let's just trust this to the Lord and and maybe the timing will be, I think, when Jonathan's two years old. Then we start trying. Already I started to have a bit of a conflict. Because it wasn't what I wanted. But you gotta, you've got work. It's a, it's a marriage, right? You've got husband and wife. We're in this together. We've got to figure this out together. That was a little frustrating to me. But, of course, accept that. Okay, well, okay. We'll wait till he's two. But, boy, those... Well, let's, let's get started when he turns three, okay? Or when he turns two years old, okay? So it's, we'll be waiting. Fine. So that wonderful year ended, and then it was the year to start for another child. How long will it take? Nine months, right? The second time was not as easy as the first. It definitely wasn't flipping a switch. And you couples that have gone through that struggle know exactly what i 'm talking about. It was a hard, confusing year. We went a whole year trying the old fashioned way. nothing nothing was happening. Hey, God what, what are you doing don 't you know i 'm a, a father and a pastor and a dad I mean and, and a husband, but the father piece right that 's what you want that's this is what you 've designed. you want us to To have more kids, and why can't we have another one? Cheryl, on the other hand, rock-solid faith. Her foundation, never moving. God's in control. God's sovereign over this. I'll tell you, that disappointment started to turn into resentment. The first year came and went, and in the second year of trying, we decided to see a fertility doctor. And we went for an entire another year of trying various treatments and weighing all of the biomedical ethical choices in that. Both perfectly healthy. The doctors scratching their heads like this just takes time. I want to just speak to this. This is the honest truth. I started to resent not only God, but Cheryl. See, you didn't want more kids anyway. You were... You're happy with just one. That's why this isn't happening. Can you, mean, can you believe that? But that would be the thought that would run through my mind. I have to confess it, to Lord. Now, I'm just going to cling to you, Jesus, and your opinion matters most, even as comments started to grow within our church and within our community. Oh, you, you've got one. Are you planning to have more? How's that going? Hey, I think I know of a, of a home uh, remedy for that. Why don't you try this than the other? A year, nothing. So then we decide let's change things up, okay? Starting year three, okay, John's going to be five. I guess we'll just let it go. God, this is before Frozen, but we're just let it go. And what can we do? But I don't want to go back to another doctor's office and go through that. I don't want Cheryl to go through that. We're just going to trust this to the Lord. The year is 2008 and at that time, I uh, was finishing my doctorate program at Bethel Seminary, and I received a grant through the Lilly Foundation for a sabbatical. And that summer was a magical summer. We, we took off. We went to Italy. I took my mom and Cheryl's mom to Italy. You know, Note to self, if you go to Italy, you want the best experience in Italy, you bring your wife, a little baby bambino boy, and two grandmothers, it was it was a blast. We came back and we rented a place in Incline Village at Lake Tahoe near the water and just enjoyed the summer together. And as the summer wound down in August, just before we were gonna leave, I'll never forget Cheryl calling me and Jonathan out to the deck, and she had the test. She was pregnant. We were going back to Minneapolis. Pregnant. After three years of trying. Hallelujah, Lord! He gives and takes away. Oh, blessed be your name. Oh, God, I see what you're doing here, Lord. I get it. I understand now. You want me to wait patiently. Wait on the Lord, and he will provide. I get it. I That'll preach. And I came back triumphant to our church. Like, here we go. This is it, church. This is what happened. We trust the Lord, and finally, it's happening what an incredible, exciting time. Yeah, Cheryl was dealing with all the morning sickness and all that, but it was just all joy. In fact, so much so that that Christmas, we sent out a letter to everyone we knew announcing this great, exciting news that our next child was going to be born on Easter Sunday. I mean, come on, Lord. The date actually was forecasted to be Easter Sunday, 2009. So we planned this for Advent. There are four Sundays in Advent. You know, we come up and we light candles. And there are four other couples that also were pregnant. So I had the greatest idea. I said, think about Mary and Joseph uh, coming with, getting ready to give birth to Jesus. We're going to line up all five families to light the Advent candle during Christmas time. And so they'll come down, and moms will kind of waddle down the the aisle and light the candle. We'll do each week one, two, three, four. And then Christmas Eve, Pete and Cheryl and Jonathan and baby girl on the way, lighting the Christmas candle. What a joy. Fast forward to the end of January, Cheryl's in her third trimester, seven plus months pregnant. And you know what that looks like. And we're having at the church a wacky science birthday party for Jonathan, he as he's super into science. And Cheryl hadn't felt the baby kick for a day, about 24 hours. But thinking, we've been, she's been exerting herself a lot to get ready for the, the party. It's just one of those things, it'll work out. We're having such a fun celebration at the party. She decided to eat a lot of cake, get that, that sugar going. Now I'll get the baby to start kicking like a, like a soccer player. And she knew something wasn't right. So we called the doctor. The doctor said, go immediately to the hospital. We go to the hospital. They bring us in, and there's an ultrasound. And for those of you who have been there, I, I apologize if this is bringing back those memories for you, but wanted to really share... The whole story. One time, uh, the tech quietly left the room and we were waiting there, waiting apparently for the doctor to come. And I started to pray like Jaris. You know the passage? Prayed for his daughter, and Jesus brought her back to life, oh, Lord, please lay my hand. Cheryl's tell me I've spoken to our daughter for so many nights. Lord, please, this is our miracle. But there was no heartbeat. For those of you who uh, don't know how this goes, that Sunday, the next day, uh, we came back to the same hospital where Jonathan was born. The same receptionist, but no smiles the same ward where you could hear mothers in the process of bringing life into this world and cheers and being escorted out by wheelchair with their bundles of joy into a room with a rose on the window. That same view of that ugly city. And Cheryl went through the same process of giving birth, but this was a stillbirth. our daughter, had the cord around her neck. We held her. We named her Caitlin Leanne. We took pictures with her. She was loved. She was held. She was named. Her big brother was waiting at home, didn't know really what was going on, but we knew his pledge to be a great big brother would have to wait and be fulfilled in heaven. And so you can imagine that week, and maybe you've been there. It's kind of a uh, haze right now, but I do remember weeping in a, in a barbershop chair. I remember buying a new suit, thinking I'll never wear a tuxedo to walk my daughter. The service was beautiful. The Church was packed. People of our community rallied around us. So much love and care and concern. A pastor friend came and he spoke and he ministered to us. And one of the things Cheryl asked was we were getting ready for the service was, you know, I carried her. She was safe in my womb. And, and David reminded us there's no place safe in this world. This is not heaven. And so we had that service. um, And then the next day was Super Bowl Sunday. I'll remember because it was Super Bowl Sunday. Friends and family were on their way out. And late in the afternoon, I was going to take my best friend back to the airport so he could fly home to Indiana. And Cheryl told me the story this week, reminding me of it because we had the Members, that afternoon, Sunday afternoon, the day after the service, a week has passed, looking in the mirror, putting herself together and saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I, think I'm, I think I can do this. I think I'm through the physical part of this. The Lord, is my foundation, my rock. I keep my eyes fixed on the Lord. There, there has to be a purpose in this, oh God. As upsetting as this is, Lord, I, all those thoughts were going through her mind that I can do this now. And so she decided to take our niece, our one niece that came uh, to the service. She was going to take Nicole to the American Doll Store in Mall of America and just treat her to whatever she wanted at the Mall of America store. And she didn't make it to the car. I'm at the airport, dropping my friend off. Phone rings. It's my mom. Come home immediately. And I race home. Now, I've been eyewitness in the presence of suicides, homicides, and murder. But it's also something that I've never shared with you. I've never seen anything more horrible than what I saw in my own house with blood everywhere. We called 911. I remember opening the window, yelling to my neighbor, who's a nurse, to come over immediately we were trying to wrap cheryl up with as many blankets as we could because there was so much bleeding caused from the stillbirth the actual delivery set this up this time bomb inside of her and the life blood was flowing out of her and cheryl knew it was too late The police, the fire trucks were coming, incredible first responders and EMTs. We brought Jonathan up from the basement. He was with his uncle so Cheryl could say goodbye to him. As she turned porcelain white, rushed to that same hospital, the crash unit, all the doctors and nurses coming, and Cheryl was barely holding on. They could not get enough back into her for what she was losing. And so she was in the ICU for four days and four nights. And she had three surgeries. And our hope was just, Lord, please spare her life. I don't know if I much slept. We couldn't see Jonathan. I had to stay at the hospital. She couldn't see him. She's in the ICU. But thank The Lord, she was spared. You don't need a tragic story like that to know who you are in Christ. But I want you to think about your foundation. What are you building your life on? I want you to think about your focus. What are the things that occupy your mind that are so important? Her live stream wasn't working, and people st- keep commenting, it's not working, it's not working. It's not a very Pastor P thing to say, but I call that a first world problem compared to everything else that's going on. What are the things that you care most about? Where are you putting your hope for your future? This changed everything about our life. It was a year of Cheryl physically trying to recover many more to recover spiritually, emotionally. When you're that angry at God, oh God, why have you done this? Is this some terrible cosmic trick to lead us through years of infertility and then loss and then Cheryl almost dying? Why, oh God? And Cheryl reminded me that I would say to her, do not rely on how you feel about God right now. Rely on what you know about God right now. That had to be the foundation. That had to be what we began to put some life back together. What do we know about God? Not what we feel. The opinions of others didn't matter. It only mattered what God said to us in prayer and in his word. And so that's where our focus was. That's why Cheryl has developed this incredible passion for scripture and, and, and this ability to discern beyond measure what I've ever saw before that it was almost like a, a, a switch was flipped in her life to have this incredible discernment uh, based in scripture. Coming back to that church was, was a mixed blessing. They were so loving and thoughtful, but they saw us differently. And that was hard, even harder still when they, forgot what had happened. That was part of it being hidden with Christ. It was just me and Cheryl and the Lord because everyone went back to their normal life. Hey, Pastor Pete, why don't you preach that passage to Mark about Jars? You know the one where he prays for his daughter? That'd be great. Why don't you do that this Sunday? Those four children that were born at the same time when Caitlin would have been born, three girls, one boy, that Christmas of 2009, we remember Christmas Eve, and they're all in the church crying, crying. You could hear them crying, me baptizing all of those kids. It just was time to leave. And again, I'm falling back on what I want, where I need to go. And so I started to interview. I just thought, I cannot remain here. In this church, this wonderful place, but the sanctuary, I'll never see it again. The basement of the church where the party was, I'll never see that again. We just need to move on. And so we started putting our name out and trusting, the Lord, is there a new place you'd call us to? We started to interview. I started to interview at communities in different places, mostly on the West Coast. I thought, well, I want to be my authentic self. God's brought us through so much. I, I feel like our faith is stronger than ever. We have a story to tell. And we have something we could bring. We might bring an encouragement to someone with our story, right? Isn't that what you want from your pastor? Just be authentic, be real. You've gone through a really hard hardship and you can bring something. And so let me just share with, with these search teams what's, what we've been through. I have Cheryl testify to that. Time and again, though, it started to feel as though they didn't want us. We were damaged goods a pastor and wife with just one kid. It's not really what we are looking for was the message that I was getting back. And so I determined not to tell the next church I spoke with anything of our personal story. And that's the church that called us in Maryland. Seven years again, thinking this isn't it, Lord. There's got to be more to it. Where are you leading us? This isn't what I want. And him reminding me, Pete, I am sovereign over your life. I'm using you. This is where I have you. Coming to that place of focusing on God's call in my life. And that call was to lead this community out of the denomination into a new place. Finally feeling like this is settled. This is it. This is where you have us, God. This is the plan and the future you have for us here in Maryland. Maryland. And then I got a phone call or an email from Maple Valley Presbyterian Church. Would you be interested in coming and talking with us? And that was the conversation that started with our PNC, our wonderful PNC. Wonderful, loving, nurturing, authentic. We want to know you. We want you to know us. We want to open our hearts up to you. We want you to open your heart up to us. And I did except for this part of our life. This part that defined our life because I was afraid. I was scared that if I really shared with you church where I've been, that it hasn't been this perfect hallmark story of, of, of hardship and waiting and loss and redemption and that you wouldn't want us just like all the others. But the PNC took us by the hand and led us through that process as the Lord led us. I remember talking to Tom Davisinskis, who was helping the church at the time, saying, Tom, are these people for real? like, I'm going to give my heart to them. I feel like right at the last minute, it's going to happen again. They're going to say no. At the last minute, he said, just trust the Lord. Look to the Lord. And here we are. I wonder if you have someone in your life that you can share your authentic self with, someone that you can really open up with, share what's really going on in your life, your struggles, your doubts, the things that you've set your focus on that aren't necessarily things of God. You have someone in your life that you can say, Could you keep me accountable to this, to trust the Lord in this? This is a church. This is the most beautiful church I've been a part of, and this is a place where that can happen, where you can do that, where you can find your foundation in Christ, raised in Christ. Hidden with Christ. His opinion of you mattering more than anyone else. And yet to communicate his opinion of you, he will bring people around you that will surround you and encourage you and bless you and challenge you and come alongside you. This is a place where we are growing in our understanding of who God is and what God has in store for us. But take our attention off the things of this world and set them on the things above, the things that honor God and the future that God has for us. And this is a community where God brings together imperfect people, people that are hurting, people who have suffered, people who've been labeled. And he brings together this ragtag group of us. And I'll I'll throw myself in there, a misfit person, brings us together and calls us family. Family. And we tried to go through the adoption process and it just happened to be the, the one time that the adoptions were the hardest in America and it was going to take the longest number of years. And yet you've been adopted into God's family. What a beautiful thing to celebrate. You are not your own. You've been bought at price. Christ's blood shed on a cross for you. That's your story. And that's the story that God's writing into our life. I hope you know who you are in Christ. I hope you know whose you are in Christ and the future that he has for you. We invite the team to come up and then let me pray for us. And uh, we will continue. Lord God, I'm reminded of the words from David Lenz that night in the hospital. Again, that... Uh, that Saturday service, and then again and again in his office when we sought his counsel afterwards. This is not heaven. This place is not heaven. But God, we know that our, our future is secure in Christ. We know, God, that we will be reunited one day with, with Caitlin Leanne. We know, God, that all that that is removed from us in this this world, in this life, even if we don't understand, oh, God, we trust it to you because we know you are a loving father and you have a purpose for us, oh, God, in this. And I pray, Lord, that if my story could turn our attention to someone uh, to you, could make someone turn to someone beside them and open up and share what's really going on, God, so that, that we can confess those things, we can let go of those things, we can drop the baggage that we carry the opinions of others, oh God, and trusting you more. If that, if that pendulum can move just a little bit more in the right direction, of oh God, then it's been a good day. It's been a good, good day. Amen.